Hi, my name is Susan. I've been arrested 32 times just for listening to people talk with each other. The problem was I used to hide in the bushes outside the windows of people's homes to enjoy listening to strangers talk to each other. It's just something I like to do. I get bored and lonely sometimes, you know. Hey, Susan, don't do all that. There's another way to enjoy random conversations? Now, thanks to the podcast show, I can enjoy listening to conversations with strangers and learn something new every week. No more listening outside the window just to enjoy a good conversation. Tune in weekly on Wednesdays and subscribe for updates on your favorite platform to the Toddcast show and help our podcast family continue to grow and share around the world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Toddcast show. My name is Todd Mira, your host, and I'm so excited to be here with all of you. The Toddcast show is dedicated to exploring the human condition through conversation with strangers. We explore the positive, interesting, and oftentimes shocking side of human nature. In each episode of the Toddcast show, I talk with strangers in a down-to-earth, old-school, and heartfelt way about their life. Nothing is ever scripted, everything is spontaneous, positive, and we never discuss politics. You won't know what to expect next. Join in the conversation to laugh, love, learn, and grow with others around the planet. Who will I call next? Tune in to find out every Wednesday at midnight Pacific or for playback anytime on your favorite podcast listening platform. And stay connected with us at ToddCastShow.com. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Toddcast Show. Today we're joined with Martin Salama. How you doing, Martin? I'm doing wonderful, Todd. So glad to be here with you. I'm excited to be here. Man, me too. It's really good to have you. And uh, I have a brother named Martin I haven't spoken to in a really long time. So in the back of my mind, there's a secret sense of familiarity just because of your name. <laughs> All right. I know it sounds weird, right? But when I saw Martin, that's the first thing I thought. I was like, man, I wonder how my brother's doing. Yeah. Um, so where are you calling from, Martin? I'm in Brooklyn, New York. Oh, imagine that. Brooklyn, man. Wow. That's amazing. What's it like there today? Is it warm? We have a decent weather. They're talking about some storms coming in, but right now they're talking about a few hours from now. I'm good. Thank you. Like, what's the temperature? I would say it's uh, around 80 degrees right now. Let's see what the 81 to 80 degrees. I got it right on the nose. Wow. Good guess, man. Yeah, here, uh, I think it's 110 today. It's been 110 to 117 consistently for the past three weeks here. I'm wow, in Henderson, Nevada. Henderson, Nevada, right near Las Vegas. Gotcha. I, I know it. I've been there. Yeah, man. I have never been here, and uh, apparently I should have come in the summer before I committed to the one-year lease, but hey, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Holy Jesus, it's hot, man. I'm like, if this is what it feels like in hell, Jesus, God, take me to heaven. That's what I say. <laughs> I don't like this heat, Martin. Not at you all. You got to earn your way there, right, Todd? I, I believe that's the case. Yeah, I've done a fairly good job so far. I might be rough around the edges, but I think I'm on track, you know, aiming, <laughs> up, aiming upwards, right? Right. And uh, you sound like an original. Are you an OG New Yorker? Were you I born am there? I an OG New Yorker. I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Right on, man. That's amazing. And may I ask your age? Sure. Uh, this past uh, December, uh, I turned 60. December? December what? That's my birthday. December 3rd. No way. I'm December 2nd, man. Cool. And not only that, I just met somebody on a wrong number call, strangely enough, which was the weirdest thing. I was calling to check on a friend that I, I unfortunately think has passed away. Uh, and uh, somebody else answered her phone. And it was this guy. And, like, we just started talking. And, like, man, it was, like, unbelievable spiritual revelation. Like, two brothers just talking. I'd never even met this guy. And, like, we went from a wrong number to a three-and-a-half-hour really cool conversation and adding each other on Facebook 
Facebook and like we need to be friends. And it turns out wow. it turns out his birthday is December the fourth. So maybe the three of us can have a conversation two, three, and four, and we're going gambling. We're gonna play the lottery. Cool. And, uh, we're gonna I'm use in, that. I'm in. Use yeah. that good luck, man. There's something about I, that. It, it seems in the last year I've met three or four people with the day, same day birthday as me. That's so, so crazy. It's really crazy. weird to me. It never happens ever. And I just had some blood work done uh, not long ago to check, you know, to make sure I'm not in trouble or anything like that. Just uh, mm. standard routine medical stuff. And the girl that drew my blood was the same birthday as mine too, December the 2nd. I was like, <laughs> you got to be kidding. That's so cool. I'd never met anybody with the same birthday. I don't think ever. Oh, Sagittarians <laughs> are great. What can I say? I'm telling you what, that big planet speaks for something. I mean, gosh, that's a lot of gravity, even though there's no gravity there. <laughs> but that's all good, man. And so let's talk about uh, early childhood in New York. Do you have siblings? I do. I have four older sisters. And uh, I had a tragedy when I was 10 years old that kind of um, shaped my life for the next 40 years. Oh, God. Good. Let's get back to that. Let's get back yeah. to that. I, w I want to start way earlier than that, if you don't mind. Sure. Let's um, start. Let's go way earlier than that. You're a lucky guy. You had four sisters. How well adjusted you must be. I had two older <laughs> brothers. But the good news is the oldest one was gay. So I did learn some good things from him. And mm. uh, not the typical gay guy, but like a really respectable. I mean, don't get me wrong. Gay people are respectable. <laughs> but, you know, he taught me to respect gay people because of their class and dignity and style and mm. ability to understand things in ways that other people couldn't solve problems and be the funniest guy in the whole room. Like, that's how I learned to appreciate um, gay folks. So I, it's sort of made up for not having a sister, kind of, wow. but, not but not really. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I never, uh, I never really um, thought about it like that. But yeah, you're really lucky to have uh, sisters like that. Are you the youngest? Are you in the middle? I, I am the youngest. No kidding. Me too. That's really mm. cool. And are both of your parents um, still alive? Uh, I lost my father a little over 20 years ago, 21 years ago. I'm so Actually, sorry. It's, almost, it's 22. And uh, my mom is 91. Uh, she's not the same person she was, but we're happy to have her in our lives. Yeah, God bless her. I remember as my grandmother got close to the near end of her life, it was uh, really strange and very... Very sad and discomforting uh, mm. sense of helplessness watching people age and you just want them to be happy and comfortable and you can see they're struggling and not feeling yeah. right. And it's uh, I feel for you. God bless you, man. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. And uh, what's your earliest memory in New York as a small baby? Like, I'll bet you remember something in the crib. Uh, like, I don't remember crib stuff. Sorry. <laughs> oh, OK, OK. I don't remember crib stuff. I'd have to say my earliest memory was my first day going to school. And I cried my whole way in. Oh. And they, the teacher said, you could sit next to anybody you want in the class. <laughs> and I sat next to a boy who had a James Bond, James Bond lunchbox. All right. And he and I are still friends today. Really? Yeah. Man, that is so cool. I've always, well, he lived in the same place. I've moved around a lot. I've always wondered what it would have been like. And I feel so bad for having lost touch with all of my friends and early connections and things. And, you know, maybe it's not ever too late to reach out and just see how someone is. But I feel like a real bad kind of a person for not being in touch all these years. And you just lose touch, man. And like, I don't right. know what happens. It's weird, but that's well. really cool. Yeah, I'm fortunate because I come from a, a small Jewish community, Sephardic Jewish community in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. very close knit. And most of us, I'd say over 95% of us don't move away. Oh, that's interesting. Wow. Huh, that's cool. I lived in upstate for a short time, and uh, man, I couldn't even imagine. I drove through Harlem uh, trying to get to the UFO conference. I never made it, but we got lost in Harlem somewhere. It scared the living hell out of me. I don't think I'd ever want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> it was just too much. You know, it wasn't just being the only white people in sight, but it was like 10 people or 10 lanes of traffic across going yeah. one direction. I've never yeah. seen anything. I couldn't believe it. And all the traffic was stopped. I felt so claustrophobic. Right. Like that's the biggest part of the city. I think that really freaks yeah. me out, man. It's just like too many people and whoa, you know, yeah, Brooklyn is not that intense as, as Manhattan in what you're talking about. We have our moments, but you know, everybody lives pretty close to each other. As I said, I'm Jewish and I'm Orthodox Jewish. So we don't mm -hmm. really drive that on Saturday. 
uh, mm. or use electronics or anything. So everybody's pretty close by walking distance. We go to similar, there's many synagogues in our area and many of us go to synagogues and mm-hmm. build our relationships between schools and synagogues and community organizations and stuff like that. So, yeah. That's cool. That's the best way to build relationships is through those types of acts of service, right? Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for something like that right my own myself where I live because I'm new to the area. And mm-hmm. uh, that's good to know, actually. And I don't have to be Jewish to do it. I can do it anywhere. Yeah. So that's nope. good. Yeah. Otherwise, I'd be in trouble. Um, <laughs> I don't think I'd qualify. And uh, as a child, what was um, things like, as you remember, growing up with so many sisters and God, big family and all these people probably around. What was that like? Yeah, it was great. I had a great childhood for the most part. It was really, really great. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's interesting because my my mom's house uh, is, is still up. My parents' house is still up. Uh, we own it, but we don't live in it anymore. But we lived in a house that had three bedrooms, right? And then they turned one of the bedrooms and one of the rooms in the basement into a bedroom years later. But my sisters and I lived in two of those bedrooms. <laughs> wow. That's so cool to have those memories. Man, that's neat. Does someone else do you like rent it out or is it just empty? Yeah, it's rented out. To, yeah, it's rented out right now. Uh, that's but, cool. Yeah, it's- cool, 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 man. How neat. Yeah. What a cool thing. And uh, <laughs> something of a family legacy. That's a really yeah. kind of a special part of it too. Right. That's, that's really neat. What... Um, what was it like with your parents growing up as a small child? What were, what were New York parents like in your family? Well, my father was an immigrant. He was mm-hmm. born in Egypt and uh, came here in the mid forties. Wow. Yeah, and my mother's family were from Syria. She was the first one in her family born here. She's number 11, actually 12 out of 13 children. Uh, one of them passed away when she was young. She was seven or eight when she passed away. But mm-hmm. she had, so she had, 11 other brothers and sisters is six and six actually uh so it, it was you know my father was old school you know at at the at the dinner table he'd come home from work and the girls would be talking and he'd clink on the on the glass and say <laughs> point to the tv watching tv <laughs> <laughs> wow, man, that's watching awesome. the news. <laughs> oh, did that get annoying, or was it as charming as it sounds? Uh, I was annoying. <laughs> <laughs> that's Truth okay. He's got the right man. He went out and worked all day. He's coming home. He wants to do what he wants to do. God bless that's him. That's right. Cool. That's right. That's amazing. And um, so, as a child, you were in school with the James Bond lunchbox guy that you still know today, right? Um, that's really amazing. And what other types of um, experiences did you have in the city and growing up and things like uh, that? Well, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the positive experiences. A lot of my childhood negative ones. Negative ones are welcome here because oh, okay. we want we want people to learn from that experience. Right, that's well, that's actually what I'm looking for. To be sure. honest, well, uh, actually, one of them is what happened to me when I was 10 years old. Please, that, that shaped me. So I, I, as I, you know, I have four older sisters, uh, and uh, one day I was walking home from school with one of my older sisters, mm-hmm. and there was a school bus stopped in front of our house, mm-hmm. uh, which wasn't weird. It wasn't uh, this was 1973, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 then as we walked closer, we realized that the bus driver was standing in front of our house, and when we got to the front of the house, my mom came running out, carrying my five-year-old brother Michael in her arms. She dumped into the car and drove away. We found out that the bus driver, my Michael got off the bus, dropped something in front of the bus. The bus driver looked, didn't see him, and drove. Unfortunately, four days later, he passed away from his injuries. And it's oh been a, a little over 50 years ago that that happened. Oh, I'm so sorry, man. Thank that's, you. That's terrible. Good Lord. Yeah. It was a it was a very devastating event for my entire family, my community, everyone. By no means, this is not the Jerry Springer show, and I hate the way the news media tries to like capitalize on emotion or anything like that. But I I do like to explore feelings and things that changed and transformed you. Yeah. Would it be okay to talk about what you felt? At yes, that time? it's it's totally fine. It's okay. Uh, you know, as I said, it shaped me for the next forty years. Yeah, please. Let's talk about it. Tell me what uh, is on your heart about that. So here I am, a 10-year-old boy, watching my parents 
suffer the greatest tragedy anyone should ever suffer the loss of a child. Yeah. Not only that, the baby. Uh, he was five years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And I was devastated. My sisters, my mom, everybody was devastated. And me as a five-year-old, a 10-year-old, I should say, in my head, I told myself a story. And that was, it's I've got to make sure that my parents never feel sadness like that again, anything like that. It's my job to make sure they're happy. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I could look back now and recognize that's the day I became a people pleaser. Wow, really? Yeah. That's really interesting. It just changed. Like all of a sudden, it was like, I am here to serve others. Right, exactly. But and it took me 40 years to realize I was a people pleaser. And here's the sad, the ironic thing, I was pleasing no one. <laughs> <laughs> you're just pissing them off. <laughs> no, when you try to just please kidding. everyone, you end up pleasing no one. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. I've, I've learned that the hard way a couple of times. Yeah. When I was younger, I remember doing stuff yeah. like that. But that's wisdom for you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a beautiful thing. Gosh, I'm yeah. so sorry for your loss. How did your I family think. adapt to that change? Well, I'm glad you asked. You know, I I look at my family, my parents, my sisters, and I recognize, you know, and I actually on the on the 50th anniversary in synagogue, Mm -hmm. I I talked about the loss of my brother and saying, you know, I one of them, somebody said, I wonder what it would have been like if he was around, you know, the what if. And I said, you know, I spent too many years in the what if I have to look at the impact that one five-year-old child made on me, on the world, on the community. And I was able to do that. And I'll give you some examples. So here's my mother. Here's my mother. She's 40 years old. Not, no, 35 years old when this happens. No, let me see how old she was. She was, uh, I want to be correct on her age. She was 41 years old when this happened. Okay. Imagine losing a child at that age, at any age, but losing a baby. For months, she was inconsolable. You know, we'd have Friday night dinner, which is a big thing in the Jewish community. And she would she couldn't stay at the table. And then somebody reached out to her and said, you know, there are a couple of other women who've lost children in the community. We'd like to put you together with her, with them and, and give you someone to help you get through this. Yes. Well, my mother accepted. And she, over the next 40 plus years, oh. developed a group of a bereavement group from mothers who lost children. Thank God. And, That's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, she would go to those houses, you know, in the Jewish community, when someone passes away, you have a week of condolences where you sit on the floor or close to it or on a low chair or low couch and people come to visit you and, and pay their, pay their respects and pay their condolences. She would go into those houses and tell the mothers something that no one else could tell them. I know how you feel. That's for sure. Because you don't know how you feel until you're walking in their shoes. No, that's and impossible. And she would bring people, women to these things. When you're ready, we're here for you. A bunch of women over the years have come to me and said, your mother saved my life. Man. So that was a beautiful the, thing. That's the kind of love I like to hear about, my man. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's really cool, dude. And my dad, my dad had done some things over the years uh, quietly without talking to anybody about them of donating things. And in yeah. the late seventies, he watched as his mother was put in a place in a, a nursing home and passed away from a stroke and all that. And he said, that's, there's gotta be other things we can do. And he went to the synagogue that we were involved in. There was two apartment buildings nearby that were, uh, falling apart basically. He said, let's buy them. Let's go to HUD, the Housing Urban Development, and turn these buildings into senior citizens' apartments with HUD funding for senior citizens who don't need to live in a huge house but are not ready to be put into nursing homes. Mm -hmm. And they started and they built another building soon, a few years later. And right now there's over 125 houses, apartments, for senior citizens to live in and there's services downstairs for them and stuff like that as well. So that's awesome. He's, he was a fantastic man. And for myself, I was, let me tell you about a couple of other people. Oh, I had, please. A cousin of mine, had a cousin of mine who had already decided 
that he was going to become a doctor. And 30 years later, I'd say it was about 30 years later, give or take, uh, he told, he became, uh, he, at the time, I didn't know why, I didn't know there was a thing for it, he became a pediatric neurologist. And he actually treated my children for ADD and ADHD. Oh, really? He said to me, yeah. He told me, Martin, I became a pediatric neurologist because of what happened to your brother. Oh, my God. Yeah. Man. um, He's one of the foremost pediatric neurologists on the East Coast, I know for sure, maybe even in the country. How did he treat them? Well, you know, as a neurologist, you know, especially when it comes to ADD and ADHD, it's understanding what their what their conditions are and uh, helping them get through it and find medication if necessary or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's many other things as a neurologist. I only know him from that point. But I know stories of other people who have gone to him with emergency cases and he's helped them. So wow. that's a beautiful thing. That's cool. I struggled with that quite a bit through my life as well. So right. that's why I, I'm just yeah. curious. Yeah. Um, my sisters got involved in different ways in the community organizations. Mm-hmm. One of them it watched as my father and her father-in-law would go to the hospitals for different things and nobody would be asking the questions. So she became their patient advocate before that became something. Mm-hmm. And she would go in and ask all the questions and make sure that everything was being done right. And she right. started an organization in our community for patient advocacy that if somebody needed a doctor, they would call my sister. Well, over the last seven or eight years, she's also started a cancer center for people to have the support they need, not just for them, but for everybody around them to go to and help get them through their cancer uh, uh, diagnoses. Yes. Wow. So Jesus. all of these things, I believe, is an impact of a five-year-old boy, my brother Michael. Now, it's... one other part. Yeah. Okay? I'll tell you about me a little bit. Oh, well, geez, you know, God, you might as well I got jump involved in there. Community, yeah. yeah, I got involved <laughs> in community events all my life because I watched my parents. And in the early 90s, I moved to New Jersey. Most of my community goes to New Jersey in the summertime for the summer, right, uh, yeah. by the Jersey Shore. And some of them decided to live there all year round. So I did that. I got married and I moved to New Jersey to be there. And in the area I was, there wasn't a synagogue walking distance away. So I started, I founded the first synagogue in Eatontown, New Jersey. And a year after we started and we were at the beginning going from house to house every week, we'd be in someone else's house, we'd have the services. We got to the point where we felt we were strong enough to now build, buy a building to eventually become the synagogue. And I went to my dad and I said, Dad, we're starting to build the synagogue now. We're very excited about it. Uh, he said, I've been watching you. And my father's not one to give a pride, I'm proud of your son type of thing. We never was. He said, I've been watching you and I want to give you $50,000 to the start of the synagogue if you name it after your brother. So to this day, it's named in Hebrew, Sha'arei Tefillah B'nai Moshe, which is the gates of prayer for the children of, in the children of Moses. Moses my, mm-hmm. my brother's Hebrew name was Moshe. So he is, his legacy is there forever. That's so cool, man. That is amazing. That is amazing. Wow. And such a healthy family, too. That's even better. I'm a little jealous, uh, sort of, <laughs> in, in a healthy way, but my, uh, my family completely fell apart. The remaining three people there were of them wow. uh, when my grandmother passed away, and, and it was uh, all for the wrong reasons. And I mean, I didn't do anything to deserve it, but my own mother disowned me and wow. uh, my two brothers. And so I got uh, ousted by people who I thought I would grow old with and mm. you know it's been like 20 years and you know they could care less you know right I'm sorry <laughs> so, to hear that I'm sorry well, come, come to Brooklyn we'll take care of you yeah yeah well the contrast I thought you know that's part of the show is that I like to be vulnerable and mm-hmm. um, yeah you know it's part of the sharing yeah. you know so well, you can see I've, I've shown someone my vulnerability already Oh, God, yes, yes, yeah, there's no question. And I almost started to cry when you told me about your brother. I am yeah, truly, truly sorry, man. Like, thank you, thank you. Unreal, dude. Um, so let's just jump ahead then. Um, yeah. Where do you want to land in your life, Martin? Let's let's go from there, okay, bro. So, so now uh, I'm living in New Jersey, and I lived there for pretty close to 20 years. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I mentioned to you that I was a people pleaser. Trying to Absolutely. please my wife, right? Mm-hmm. Trying to choose my please my parents, trying to please everybody. 
Yeah. And especially when you're the leader, the founder, the, the, the first president of the synagogue, trying to please everybody, it doesn't work, really doesn't, mm-hmm. but you still try to do it. And uh, something I talk about in my coaching is uh, I talk about the word rationalize. You rationalize that you do these things because it's for the greater good. And what I've come to learn through becoming a life coach and all that, which I'll get into a little more, mm-hmm. is that rationalize is really two words. It's rational lies. <sighs> Clever. Right. I like and I've, that. I've trademarked that, so. Just okay, good. I, I won't take it. No, no, you, you don't know. have to worry. I just, I would have a hard time remembering it, but I'll. Well, I here, here's a good way to remember it. Whenever you think you may be doing something that goes against your values, you'll rationalize all the reasons why it's okay. What you're really doing is lying to yourself that it's rational to think that. They're nothing more than rational lies. Yeah, you're talking about a different kind of person, man. Like, um, I've definitely been, uh, I've had my share of uh, my own feet in my mouth over the years, and I've made mistakes and everything. But once I learned integrity, and I uh, went to this thing called the Landmark Forum, and uh, it was a long, long time ago, like 25 years. And boy, oh boy, it changed my life, dude. It was a yeah. three-day experience like no other. And I've completely been changed ever since. I'm very committed to the process of being an integrity. And that means mm-hmm. always, always telling the truth, doing what's right. And if you right. can't but, show well, up, what, you the, know. the lies I'm talking about is the lies you tell yourself. For example, yeah. yes. you know, for example, you wake up and you go, you know what? I don't feel like uh, exercising. I'm tired. I didn't sleep well. Ah, I see. Right. So is that the truth or you're just looking for a way to get out of exercise? I get you. I wasn't applying it to that kind of thing. You're exactly right. Yeah. It's feeding into the laziness. Right. But that's one example. It could be, you know, somebody asks you to do something and deep down you really don't want to. And it goes against whatever, but you want to make that person happy. So you go, well, I'll do it anyway. But you're going against your own personal values there. That's what I was kind of uh, thinking about is integrity is, right. in my yeah, opinion, yeah. never deviating from those values, you know, right. no matter what. Exactly. So there's no need to check it because it ain't going to happen. You know what right. I mean? But, like, you know, as a people pleaser, you, you don't think that way. <laughs> so, sometimes, sometimes, but you just have to learn to say no, man. And Yeah, you well, know, now I do. <laughs> that's, that's the key. You gotta now I call myself no. a recovering people pleaser. <laughs> right on, right on. I think uh, people pleasing is a beautiful thing and it can have its value in place, but you know, Right. You got to do it according to where it's needed, not necessarily taken for granted. That's 100%, all. hundred percent. hundred percent. So here I am, you know, doing these things and uh, having a life in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And uh, in about 2003, mm-hmm. um, I was closing a business and looking for something else to do. Mm-hmm. And my wife comes to me and she says, you know, uh, I started playing re- pet tennis recently and I could never find a court anywhere. It's hard to find courts. I'm playing at nine, 10 o'clock at night for my lessons because there's no courts available. So she says, maybe you should think about, we could go and start opening up some tennis courts. So here's the people pleaser in me saying, yeah, well, I want to make sure, I want to make my wife happy. Yeah. Uh, But here's the ironic thing. I am not an athlete. I play no sports whatsoever. Okay. Okay. But I'm like, okay, let's let's look into this. (laughs) And we start doing the research. And uh, I go out and I get somebody to do a feasibility study. And they go, yeah, yeah, you could put eight, seven, eight, ten courts around here. It's really needed and you'll you'll do well in the tennis. But you won't be as profitable as you think you should be because it's, it doesn't carry its weight. You need to do other things like have a health club with membership and other things because that will make it profitable. I'm like, oh, okay, great. So now we have this information. We start looking for land. We find the land. We decide, okay, let's go do it forward. Let's go get an architect and engineers and all that. And it takes us five years to go through this process because in the middle of this, we're doing all this and I'm funding it and I'm getting investors and all that. You then have to go to the city and get their approval. (laughs) We go to the city and they're like, yeah, we love it. But before you do this, you've got to do a civil engineer study. To make sure, how is it going to affect the traffic? Do you have enough parking? All this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, if it was 2006 or 2007 that we finally got the approvals, walking into the bank in those days was like walking into Costco and getting free samples. 
<laughs> you know, you could have a free lunch at Costco if you time yourself right. Mm-hmm. And that was the way it was in the banks. You could, I was able to refinance my house twice, at least twice during those years, because every time I go back there, yeah, we'll revalue your house. We'll reevaluate your house and give you a high evaluation. So here's the money, right? Uh, and that would yeah. help to fund the project as I was yeah. going along. Yeah. But now I was three and a half million in and it wow. was time for us to go further. And we finally got the approvals in 2008. Do you remember what happened in 2008? Sure do. All right. Well, so this was the summer of 2008. Now, let's say it was August, September, uh, October, uh, July or August of 2008. Go to the bank and they're like, yeah, we're not lending. I'm like, what are you talking about? Last year you said come back and we got it. I'm like, well, things have changed. Oh, no. Are you kidding me? Well, things are slowing down. A month later, Bernie Madoff, subprime loans. The financial yeah. world falls apart. People like Lehman Brothers and Merrill Lynch are out of business. And I was out of business. I lost everything. Uh, again, I'm so sorry, dude. That sucks, <laughs> man. That is Thank the... You. That is the, I, I, I have to add something really quick, if you don't mind, yeah, please. Um, just because you made me think of it. And I hate to be uh, the bearer of bad news, but I was actually a contributor to that problem without even knowing it. And uh, mm -hmm. right around that time, I got a temporary job working at Countrywide Mortgage. Remember right. that? Yeah. And uh, I was an employee of no stature with no background or business doing anything with any type of paperwork. Um, I was an office admin and a phone guy and this and that. Well, one day the manager who was drinking in his office during business hours and all that assigned a whole bunch of us that had no business doing anything to stacks of loan documents and uh, <laughs> loan processors was directing us on where to go and what to sign and to forge signatures. Oh my God. <laughs> and uh, I had no idea what the hell I was even doing, but the, the lady led us through the whole thing and we signed a bunch of documents and this and that and the other. And thank God I got out of there and ended up going to a much better company. Wow. Um, but I found out later what was going on and had no idea that I was actually part of the problem. I mean, it was just something that yeah. happened for like a week or two, but it was that experience that like I started calling around and I'm like, I need another job. Like you've got to send me someplace else. I can't be here. Right. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, I know someone who during that time was assault writing software for mm -hmm. financial institutions. And she would show them the software and say, Oh, here's the valuation. They're like, no, no, no. Make that valuation 90% higher. Look, 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 what, but it doesn't fit. Do it anyway. Okay. Yeah. She didn't know what she was doing. She was writing the software for the subprime loans. Yeah. Yeah. Honesty is really important, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, without it, like there's a lot of variables that really could uh, never solve for X, you know. Well, exactly. Um, well, so as a result of that, I kind of stopped paying my bills, stopped paying my car payments and stopped paying my mortgage. Yeah. Well, a couple of months later, my son says, Dad, look outside. They're towing your car. And oh, I looked no. and my BMW was being towed because it was repossessed. Oh, no, man. Yeah. And my house was foreclosed on, but I lived in New Jersey. And the, lit, the the amount of people whose houses were foreclosed on was so long that it took them years before they finally took possession of it. Gee, many Christmas. Yeah. Well, wow. Well, you can imagine how depressed I was for the for a while after that. No, absolutely, man. And you're, you and your wife are together? Well, well that's that the next time? part of the story. Oh. So now it's about a year in, and mm -hmm. I'm really figuring, I'm like, just now finally getting out of my depression. Right. And uh, I went to some therapy and I went to some coaching and I came out the other side. I said, OK, now what do I ought to do with the rest of my life? Number one, I don't have any money left to start another business. Number two, I'm kind of tired of this business financial roller coaster I've always been on. Mm -hmm. What do I want to do? And I look back and I realized the best times of my life was when I was doing the community events as a leader. Yes. Why? Because I was bringing people in and showing them their potential by doing, I can't do what you're doing, Martin. I'm like, I don't want you to do what I'm doing. Give me a few hours. Give me something. I'll show you what your potential is. I was yeah. a life coach and I didn't even realize it. Wow. 
That's perfect. Yeah, I like that. I think that's beautiful, man. And so you, you started on that path, like so um... I started on that path. And about two months before it was time for uh, the, the the coaching school that I was going to was going to start. Mm-hmm. It was my twenty fourth wedding anniversary, and my wife said to me, "I'm done. I want a divorce." What? That's right. Oh no. That's right. And you know what went through my head? Why does everything keep happening to me? Wow, dude. I was hoping you were going to say, man, thank God. No, no, I would have to tell you, my self-esteem was so low Mm. that I was afraid I was never going to be loved again. So a love of a little bit, you know, the the devil, you know, is better than the devil you don't know. And in this case, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I totally understand that. Um, God, I felt every emotion again, sadness, anger, abandonment, everything you could think of. Man, how did you get through that? Well, I think God came to play a little bit here because definitely I said, you know what? I'm still going to go forward and I'm going to go forward with the coaching anyway. And before I went to that first weekend and it was like, kind of like God tapping me on the shoulder and telling me, Oh, you want to become a life coach? Well, why don't you fix yourself first and go to the school and figure out what's going on? Wow. And I, and that before I went, they sent me a list of books to read. They said, read a couple of these books. And one of them was The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Mm-hmm. You know that book? I'm not familiar. Well, it, it's just four agreements, but I'll just tell you the one that really hit me most. Mm-hmm. It was don't take anything personally. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what? You mean I don't have to carry the show, the world on my shoulders? I don't have to worry what anybody's thinking about me? I don't have to solve all the problems. I don't have to solve world hunger. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) And it was, it was as if he told me a secret that people had been telling me my entire life, but until that moment, I wasn't ready to hear it. It's the old master will appear when the student is ready. Absolutely. You're so right, man. That is amazing. And I've been having experiences like that myself and, uh, it's a good thing. And sometimes you forget that, uh, there's a lot of teachers around us, man. <laughs> there, are. there are. So I, I, I took that as a sign. And, and looking back now, other than my four, grand, my four children, and thank God we have eight grandchildren, it was the greatest gift she ever gave me. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, but my children come first, then her, then, then this, telling me, mm. you know, I want a divorce. It was the kick in the pants I needed. Mm. And That's I had amazing. to get out of my own pity party and do something about it. Oh, Jesus. Um, good Lord. <laughs> you didn't know what you were signing up for, huh, Todd? <laughs> no, dude. Yeah, honestly, I resonate with you, man. And and I still struggle with depression sometimes myself today. And I've been in therapy for years. And I've dealt with some trauma with the family stuff mostly. But that just uh, that, that haunts me like a nightmare every day. I just can't escape it. And yeah. so I've been trying to exercise prayer around that to right. let it go and then uh, in my last episode, I talked with some wonderful person about something called EFT tapping, which I didn't oh, really yes, know much about. Yeah. And like, so I'm going to try that and see mm-hmm. how that works. Um, right. But yeah, so yeah. I want to make sure that we get everything into our time. And I am yeah. so sorry. I accidentally got booked. Um, back no, it's good. Wait, wait, wait. We're rolling along here. I just want to make sure that everything fits. 100%. You know, in 20 minutes. <laughs> we'll get it done. We'll get it okay, done. Okay, cool. So, Take you know, me there. you talked about haunting. And I, I can easily say that for many years I was haunted by my brother's death. I can imagine. You know, uh, you think about some of the things you might have said to him. Yes. Or to yourself yes. or to whatever. Like, yes. I remember a few weeks beforehand, he's five, I'm 10, and my parents are telling me to go to bed and he can stay up. You know? <sighs> and I was like, I wish he was dead. As a 10-year-old, you think your wish just came true. Right, right. But, you know, I've come through the other side of that. Uh, You know, over the years when someone would say the name Michael to me, whether they'd said it to me, whether they knew my story or not, Martin, Michael, very similar names, I would shudder and I would, like, be upset. And going through this transformation that I've gone through now through because I went to coaching, life coach training, now I look at it as God's way or Michael's way of saying he's with me. Oh, man, that's cool. That's a really good way to turn it around, man. Yeah, and that's what I've done with most of my life. It's about transforming myself from Martin 1.0 to Martin 2.0 by Mm -hmm. recognizing 
that the people pleaser also came with, I can't do this. I, I, you know, everybody else is to blame. Why is everything happening to me? When you say, why is everything happening to me? You're looking to blame everybody else. Mm-hmm. When you rationalize and you realize that they're rationalized, it's a cop out. You're giving yourself the reason to get out of it. Absolutely. So it's about, those, yeah. No, no, I just wanted to add that I, I believe in congruence with what you're saying. It's about personal accountability and responsibility. That's right. That's right. So here I am going through the coaching and learning all these things about myself and becoming a different person. And those things led me to recognize that things don't happen to me. They happen through me. Mm. I'm responsible for what happens in my life, good, bad, or indifferent. Is it just energy? It's energy. Mm -hmm. It's energy. But it's a deep mindset of saying, I'm going to stop saying I can't and start saying, how can I, or I can. Mm -hmm. And of course, the discernment to know if it's right or wrong in the first place. Yeah, 100%. Mm -hmm. 100%. That makes perfect sense, man. Um, Well, let's do this. I I don't want to miss anything, but I definitely want people to get the value of what you have to offer. And that's what I like to spend the last part of the show. We got a good 15 minutes or so, uh, maybe 17. And I just want to make sure that people can glean from your experience in a way that will allow them to want to reach out to you. And then we'll make sure and share all your contact information. All right, cool. Great. Thank you. So, oh, yeah. God. Absolutely. so what happened is I got out of coaching, out of coach training. Mm-hmm. I became a divorce recovery coach. Makes wow. Sense, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I did that for a few years. And I also went through another transformation because I was still saying I can't to myself at that time. And I had gotten the heaviest I was. I was working in a dead end job. I wasn't making enough as a coach. And I said, I couldn't afford to be coached. And now I realize I, could, I can't afford not to be coached because that was me saying I can't again. Mm-hmm. And I got to the heaviest I ever was in my life. And I said, I got to do something about this. And a friend of mine on Facebook said, I got a, I got a solution. You could work out for 30 minutes at home. You don't have to go to a gym, watch a video, and I'll coach you through Facebook. And whenever you need, I'll pick up the call and, and coach you for free. I was like, awesome. okay, cool. I lost 45, uh, no, 65 pounds in nine months. Really? Yep. Congratulations, Thank man. You. Well done. Well Thank done. You. And what came with that was I switched my awareness from self-conscious to self-aware. Okay. Most people think they're self-aware, but really they're self-conscious. And to me, there's a big difference between the two. All right. So I'll read from one of my cards out of my card deck that I have, which is called Warrior to Warrior. Okay. So I went from being a warrior to now being a warrior. Self-consciousness. Right you like that. Self-consciousness comes from a place of negative energy, guilt, conflict, and doubt. Self-consciousness is more outward directed. It's being more concerned about what others are thinking of you and how the situation is going to affect you. You probably react to uncomfortable situations instead of respond. When you're self-conscious, you're questioning your decisions. Now, self-awareness comes from a place of positive energy, acceptance, contentment, self-assuredness. Self-awareness is more inward-facing. You have an accurate, realistic understanding of how you are responding to situations and how you feel about things. So you see this shift there from self-conscious to self-aware? Yeah, it's huge. And I I understand that, actually. That makes sense to me. Right. So most people Mm -hmm. think they're self-aware until I talk to them. And I go, oh, my God, I was really (laughs) self-conscious. Yeah, it can be a fine line, I think, sometimes. Absolutely. Um, You know, the human mind is a funny thing. Right. (laughs) Right. So as a result of all this awareness and self-awareness, I was liking myself. I was loving myself and I was doing things like meditating and I'm ADHD. I found out in my fifties that I'm ADHD as well as my children. One of my kids and my other son is ADD. <laughs> wow. Could you imagine an ADHD guy trying to meditate for even 10 minutes? Actually, I used to do that for three hours. And oh, it was my God. Great, it was the greatest experience ever. I need to get back into it. To be really honest with you, meditation is probably one of the greatest things that I can ever do. But right. for some reason, I always have the excuse. So um, I <laughs> do understand. Maybe that rationalize it. You rationalize it. I, I honestly, <laughs> you're, you're, you're speaking to my heart here, brother. <laughs> so anyway, for me, even sitting 10 minutes, I can't do. It's very hard for me to sit for 10 minutes in silence with the guy in my head telling me, oh, do this, breathe. It was hard. But one of these days, I had a download of information that 
after I finished my 10 minute meditation, I wrote for two hours. And out mm-hmm. of that came an acronym because I loved my life and I wanted to show other people. And that acronym, acronym is life, live incredibly full every day. Oh, very cool. I like Thank that. You. And what it wow. really means is having a happy life and a meaningful life. Yes. Because you could be happy without meaning and you could have a meaningful life without happiness. Mm-hmm. Because happiness, happiness is self-love, self-care, and even selfish, which is a, sometimes a good thing, many of times. Mm-hmm. And self and, and meaningful is selfless. You're giving out to others. You're being of service. Yes. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And that, that's actually the most important thing that's always been my focus. And right. when I was younger, I think I was a little more selfish, to be honest, and irresponsible and mature. But like, thank God, I finally grew enough to understand the error of my ways, man, and I fixed it, you know. Right. Right. So I thing. developed the course called mm-hmm. the Warrior to Warrior course that I've now have the card deck, as I mentioned, and I just recently released a book called Very Warrior cool. to Warrior. Seven okay. steps to uncover the warrior within to live incredibly full every day. Very cool. Very cool. And is this just for men or is it? Uh, no, men and women. Doesn't matter. Okay, hey, cool. Hey, Todd, some of the strongest warriors are women. Oh, yeah. But, you know, they call them something else, don't they? Like uh, No, no, they call them warriors too. Oh, okay, cool. I thought yeah. they were something else. To me, really, a warrior is someone who's come through the problems of their lives, the adversity in their lives, and are stronger for it. Mm-hmm. They're Absolutely. not making excuses. They're not worrying about it. They're figuring it out and they're getting it done. Oh yeah, and quite honestly, I think women are a lot smarter than men in some ways. So, oh, yeah. um, and they have abilities that are God given that can't be ignored. And boy, oh boy, right. we better respect those things because they're don't worry. important. Don't worry, Todd. My four older sisters remind me all the time that they're smarter than me. Yeah, right. Exactly. I'm sure. Yeah. Right. And funny. by the way, do you remember that woman I was telling you about who had written the software for subprime loans? Yeah. Well, I'm very happy to say that I was set up with that woman on a date. Really? And Yep. And on that date, I was when I was going on dates, I was checking the boxes to see if our values would match because now I understood what values were because That's of right. going through coaching. Mm-hmm. And she checked off all those boxes for so many times that I had to marry her. And we've been married for wow. five years. Really? Congratulations. Right? And That's I turned to her and said, it's your fault. I lost all that money. <laughs> Man. Uh, but she's not uh, bending the rules on the software anymore, is she? Oh, no, no, no. She got out of that. She's she's a <laughs> high, high official in a major bank. Awesome. That is beautiful, man. That is so cool. What a weird Thank coincidence. Thank you. I don't think she she was directly her fault, but you get it. I had fun with yeah. her. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm with you. Yeah, I totally feel you, man. Absolutely. And um, regarding people that work with you, just to make sure we hit yeah. all the high notes, what Absolutely. type of person would want to reach out to you and how would you help them? Well, I, I, I on a very, very... Uh, basic level, it's the people who are out there saying, is this all there is in life? Mm-hmm. That existential crisis that they're having? Yes. And it's and my answer to them is surprisingly, yes, but it's how you're looking at it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at it through rose-colored glasses, and there's nothing wrong with putting on rose-colored glasses, things could be much better for you than if you put on the dark-colored glasses that have crap all over them, yes. stopping you, and looking for the problems, look for the opportunities. Yes. And, so it's, and that's where I help them go from a mindset of lack to a mindset of abundance, a mindset of self-conscious to self-aware. And now I'm putting a program together now for entrepreneurs, business owners who are looking to move their business to the next level and they're not realizing it's maybe things that are going on. They're the culture of the business. So if they change the way they approach the business, so will the people in their business. Wow. That is brilliant, man. It sounds almost like a board game or something. Is it that sort of, <laughs> is it that sort of thing or just a book or well, the, the, cards, the like, cards? The cards are ways, but I go through and I show them uh, uh, techniques that I've developed for myself mm-hmm. and with my clients that are tried and true. For example, one of them, I'll give you a little, uh, a, a little, uh, snippet of it is Please. called the cycle of A's. Now mm-hmm. we've all heard of, many of us have heard of the, uh, 
law of attraction. Mm-hmm. And most people say, ah, the law of attraction doesn't work. Well, that's because you think you, th- you say, well, if I think about things, things are going to happen to me. It does. It's not that simple. So I've taken the law of attraction and that's part of it. And I called mm-hmm. the cycle of A's. The first A is ask, ask the universe, ask God, ask whoever it is you want for what you want. But it can't stop there. You have to then act. You have to start doing the work to getting what you want. Now, if you say I want a million dollars, if you don't believe you deserve it, you won't get it because you're already defeating yourself. So say I want $5,000 and what am I going to do to get that? Whatever it is, I'm using money as an, as an easy example. Mm-hmm. All right. And then here's the third thing. The third A is extremely important. It's attitude. Have an attitude of I don't care about the outcome. And it's not my emotional, I'm not emotionally tied to the outcome. Because the more you put down, okay, I'm asking, I'm acting, and I'm going to want it, I'm going to hope for it. Huh? You're sending out to the universe that lack mindset. And it will stay away from you. The more you do it, the more you you focus on it, the more it'll stay away from you. Interesting. Huh. So it's almost like you just put the call in and go back to your business. And like John Lennon said, life is what happens while you're busy making other plans, right? Right, exactly. And the reason I call it a cycle, it's because it's kind of like perpetual motion. Once you get it, you're in it, things start to happen perpetually. Ask, act, attitude. Now you got this going on. So you start working on something else. doesn't mean you don't work on the other things. You just don't have the emotional tie to the outcome. And if things come along the way that are saying it's not the right thing, make a course correction. Hmm. Very interesting. And uh, wow. And then wait. I mean, how quick do these things happen when you well, don't, they could happen when you don't, pretty when you don't, when you don't, when you don't care, how quickly does things happen? They could happen pretty quickly, <laughs> but here's the beauty. And this is something I want everybody to listen to. Mm-hmm. Don't take, if something happens and say, well, it's a coincidence. No. No. It's not. There's no such thing as coincidences. I don't believe there is. It's the universe. It's God sending you the message that you're on the right path. Indeed, man. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. You're exactly right. And honestly, every now and then, I get locked up in that kind of thinking too. So I totally feel you, yeah. man. Um, but I want to believe that every step, every moment, every interaction, every person is somehow part of a reality that was somehow coordinated by a higher power, man. And That's right. That's it's right. really powerful. Very powerful indeed. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my pleasure. Let's make sure that um, anything that might be on your heart or in your mind that we want to share, yeah. we do that now just so we can wrap up here and we want to let people know how they can find you as well, Martin. Absolutely. So I'd like to tell your audience, wake up tomorrow morning and write down three things you're grateful for. Mm-hmm. And then tomorrow during the day, go out and buy a nice notebook like a moleskin. And the next morning, write those three things down and write three more things you're grateful for and -hmm. do this every day. Mm -hmm. Write three things you're grateful for. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, for me, I pray. After that, I pray. It's my connection to God. Mm -hmm. Be spiritual, however it is for you. And then Mm -hmm. have a mantra that sets you up for the day. Mine is, I live incredibly full every day. Mm -hmm. Right now, when things happen, I'm already open for the opportunities. I'm not looking for the problems. Mm-hmm. So that's what I want to tell your audience right there. And how can you get in touch with me? You can go to connectwithmartin.com. How simple is that? Wow, man. You really lucked out. That's a good domain name, man. How'd you Thank do that? You. <laughs> Thank you. And then when you go there, you can buy my book. You can buy the okay. cards. And I also have free gifts out there, like a download of the Cycle of A's so that you can make notes as to what's going on. And this way it's tangible in front of you. And you could also click on a link to make an appointment to, to speak with me. Absolutely. And you do coaching as well for people who want to take it? I do. I do. Oh, that's a big thing, big thing. And um, man, is there any last uh, words that we should share here just to make sure nothing is missed? Yeah. Enjoy life and live incredibly full every day. Absolutely. And uh, maintain the warrior mindset. That's what it's about for you, right? right. It's, right. A, it's exactly. a warrior code, the life code. Right. I like that, man. What a brilliant idea. Very smart. I like that. Thank you. 
Wow. And uh, gosh, the domain name, it's like there's only one Martin. Jeez, who knew? You know? <laughs> it's, it's you, man, in Brooklyn. Who would have thought that? It's you know? the first one that grabs it, man. I love it. And uh, again, you know, I'll just say it now. I, I'm really just my heart goes out to you, brother. And, and the inspiration of you turning all this around into the positives that you have really it, it gives me hope and inspires me personally. And I hope people listening feel the same way. Cause honestly, like just hearing what you've done and how you did things at the moments that you did them under the types of pressure that you did it, like, man, like yeah. most people could have and probably would have just given up. Thank you. But you know what? I have to let you know, and let them know it's not an overnight sensation. It's a journey. And every day I wake up and I've got to continue on being on that journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very good point. I think sometimes we uh, might get on autopilot and forget that we need to do the maintenance if we want the plane to fly, right? Exactly right. <laughs> Nobody wants to, to crash land the uh, airplane of life. That's no that's good. That's right. Right on. Well, I just want to thank you so much, Martin Salama, for being on the show today. What a share and what a great inspiration. And I hope people listening will reach out to you and find out a little bit more about your cards and your awesome coaching. It sounds like you've got a really good ability, really, to not only help people convert their own lives to whatever they're looking for, but to maybe help them discover it as well. And I think that's really beautiful. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure being here with you, Todd. I've really enjoyed every moment. Oh, my pleasure, Martin. And I'll be in touch with you soon. And let's connect um, outside the show. And I definitely would love to have you back on in the future. Oh, thank you. I'd love to be there. That sounds great. You have a great rest of the evening. Take care. Bye-bye. You too. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Toddcast Show. If you found today's episode helpful and meaningful, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on what's next. Remember that the Toddcast show is all about community and connection. So follow the podcast on your preferred social platform to keep updated on everything I've got in store. Also check out ToddCastShow.com to find out more and stay connected with me, Todd Mira. Be sure to tell your friends and family about the Toddcast show so the podcast family can continue to grow and share on an international level. See you over on the next episode. Hi, I'm Todd Mira, host of the Toddcast show, and I want to share something personal with you today. Throughout my own life, I've struggled with issues I didn't even realize I had. Things like depression, past trauma, PTSD, and feeling disconnected from the people I loved the most. It took me hitting rock bottom to realize I couldn't fix myself alone. I needed help to unravel the tangled knots within my life, find myself again, and become stronger in the areas I was weakest. It wasn't an overnight transformation, but with time, I learned to change my thinking, my attitudes, and my entire paradigm for the better. I learned that it's good to ask for help, and that's why I want to tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode of the Toddcast Show. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and the best part, it's 100% online. You can participate from anywhere, anytime that works for you. It's simple to get started. Simply answer a few questions about your specific needs and personal preferences in therapy, and BetterHelp will match you with the perfect therapist from their network. It's really that easy. You can message your therapist anytime you need support and schedule a live session when it's convenient for you. BetterHelp is committed to ensuring that you find the perfect match to guide you along your journey to well-being. As someone who went through therapy and came out way ahead of where I started, I want to invite you to take this step to a healthier, happier you today. My life was transformed through therapy, and yours can be too. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you'd expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is hand-picked for you, all at a shockingly affordable price. 
And as a special offer for our listeners, you'll get 10% off your first month by using the special link, betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. That's betterhelp.com forward slash Toddcast. You don't have to face life's challenges alone. BetterHelp is here to support you through the big and small issues of your life in a way that can really make a huge difference, both short and long term. Take the first step towards a healthier, happier you. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash Toddcast to get started today.